I'll be honest, my sister was a lot cooler than me. Yes, it's true. It's okay. I've accepted it. I've embraced it. And anyone who knows the two of us knows this is true. My sister had a way better fashion sense than me. Her home decor and design was absolute perfection. Her hair was always styled to the nines, while I suffered from severe cavewoman hair through at least middle school. And I always admired her music choices. Because my sister was so much cooler than me, I would often borrow her clothing. Borrow, being in quotation marks, of course. I also ended up with several of her CDs, which I probably acquired at some point when we were teenagers, and I've hung on to them well into my adulthood. A few of those CDs include The Immaculate Collection by Madonna, Happenstance by Rachel Yamagata, and MTV Party to Go Volume 4, which I stole for the sole purpose of one song, Supermodel You Better Work by RuPaul. She loved this song so much, and so did I. Before iTunes and God forbid Napster, if you liked a song, you had to purchase a whole CD, even if the rest of the songs, well, kind of sucked. Thankfully, the CD was actually pretty decent, but it was definitely purchased so this song could be played on our respective boomboxes. My sister has always had a huge impact on my music choices throughout my whole life, and I almost always listen to music whenever I am driving because, well, Being a parent to young children results in significant sleep deprivation. Recently, while driving back from the beach with my kids, supermodel You Better Work came on, and I immediately started blasting it in the car. My kids hate when I do that, but they will know the magic that was music from the 1990s, especially those songs loved by their Auntie Becky, whether they like it or not. I knew in that moment what my next show would be all about. RuPaul Andre Charles describes his current drag persona as two parts Cher, three parts Diana Ross, a dash of Dolly Parton, a little bit of David Bowie and James Brown, with a smattering of Bugs Bunny. This sentiment was one of the first things I learned about RuPaul while doing my research, and I immediately knew that his story was going to be incredibly intriguing. As it turns out, I was right. So grab your seven-inch heels, a bedazzled dress, and an oversized wig. Here we go. Hello, and thank you so very much for tuning into the Pop Culture Retrospective Podcast, a show inspired by, and in memory of, my big sister Rebecca, and her love for all things pop culture, especially the people, places, and things of the 1980s, 1990s, and early 2000s. My name is Amy Lewis, and I am your captain aboard this pop culture time machine. You are tuning into episode number 10, RuPaul. And man, episode number 10, that is just crazy. The past two or so months have just flown by, but the journey thus far has been a blast. Thank you for being a part of it. RuPaul Andre Charles was born on November 17, 1960 in San Diego, California. Throughout this episode, I may go back and forth between calling him Ru or RuPaul. He answers to both. He was named by his mother. Her name was Ernestine Charles, often went by Tony, and she was originally from Louisiana. RuPaul was named after Rue, 
R-O-U-X, which is a key ingredient in gumbo, which is a staple in Creole food. Another reason for his unique name is because RuPaul's mother felt that he was destined to be a star. He was raised Roman Catholic, and he described himself as being a kind and well-mannered little boy. He had three other siblings, all were sisters. Growing up, it was quite apparent that RuPaul was destined to be an entertainer. He would perform for his mother in the family's living room. He would pretend he was a talk show host and would interview his sister, much to his mother's delight. My sister and I also liked to perform for our parents in our living room, and thankfully my dad was able to capture a lot of that on tape with his humongous JVC home video camera. We didn't pretend to host a talk show, but we did dance and sing to Tina Turner and the one-hit wonder song, Woomp, There It Is, when the Chicago Bulls won the NBA championship. Early on, RuPaul learned that having a sense of humor and sort of an alter ego would be extremely helpful in dealing with difficult situations, especially trauma. In various interviews I listened to or watched, RuPaul alludes to his home life being incredibly volatile. He said that his parents were, quote, always at war and that their home was a war zone. He alluded to domestic violence in his household as his parents were reportedly often physical with each other. In one despairing story, he said that during one heated argument, his mother dumped gasoline all over his father's car while it sat in the garage. She held a match over the car and threatened to drop it. RuPaul and his siblings all watched the scene across the street from their house while fire trucks pulled up. Thankfully, a woman from the family's church managed to talk his mother out of making this very, very dangerous decision. Eventually, RuPaul's parents ended up divorcing, and all four children would go on to live with their mother. It sounded like after the divorce, RuPaul's father essentially abandoned the family, further adding to the trauma that the children had already experienced. Spending so much time with four women also added to RuPaul's desire to perform. He learned a lot about women's fashion during his upbringing in a female-dominated household and really enjoyed getting dressed up. He liked to pretend he was one of his idols like Diana Ross or Jane Fonda. His interests were certainly unique, but as RuPaul once said, you are born not to fit in, but to stand out. I like that. His older sister, Renetta, helped him get through their tough childhood through the power of imagination and what he called magic. In one story, he said that Renetta, who was seven years older than him, took him to a canyon in San Diego with just a blanket and a brown bag full of cookies. She wanted to take her little brother out for a true picnic. This was a very simple gesture, but it helped RuPaul understand the power of changing your perception. Something that was so simplistic could really be powerful. It taught him to think differently and that using our imaginations could take us to magical places. Older sisters really and truly are magical people. I can certainly attest to that. My sister had an incredible imagination as a child. She and I would play summer camp in our front entryway. It was her idea to pretend that the two front hall closets could be our respective bunks. She would transform our basement playroom into a classroom with extra credit folders with worksheets. We also transformed our living room into a video rental store on more than one occasion. My sister had a very creative perspective on our childhood activities, even when she was very, very young. During his teenage years, he seemed to be a bit lost. He struggled to attend school consistently and was reportedly kicked out of high school due to his absences. When his sister Renetta decided she would be moving to Georgia, 
RuPaul opted to join her, and he attended a school for the performing arts. He didn't end up graduating from this high school or high school in general, but he did meet a teacher that had a positive impact on him. His name was Mr. Purnell, and he gave RuPaul some great advice. Don't take life too seriously. When RuPaul received a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame in 2018, Mr. Purnell was RuPaul's special guest. During his early adult years in Atlanta, he tried to break into show business. He began playing music with punk rock bands. In 1982, he appeared on an Atlanta public access variety show. That same year, he attended his very first gay pride parade ever in Atlanta, which he said only had about 75 people in attendance. Soon after he started performing as a bar dancer or with bands he was a member of, first being in a band named RuPaul in the U-Hauls and later in a group called um, Wee Wee Pole. Yes, you heard that correctly. Wee Wee Pole. It's an interesting name. I'm not joking. On the side, he also worked some odd jobs, including being a used car salesman for a period of time. He knew that he needed to go to a larger, more progressive city to help his career, so in 1987, he moved to New York. He performed in nightclubs there in drag. He was one of the first drag queens to use their actual name on stage, not a made-up one. It was certainly a struggle to get by. In some reports, it was noted that he had periods of homelessness, and he would keep his clothing and other prized possessions in the basement of the club, and he would sleep elsewhere. Feeling a bit discouraged, he moved back to California, this time to L.A., where one of his sisters lived. At 28 years old, he was sleeping on his sister's couch, and at night, he would often walk the streets of Hollywood, dreaming of becoming a star. At this time, he was plagued by some dark thoughts and often questioned whether or not his life was really worth living. He was broke, and he felt very alone. Thankfully, these feelings didn't last forever, and by the early 1990s, RuPaul had moved back to New York City, hoping once again to make it big. He began performing at a few Manhattan nightclubs and became popular due to his flamboyant performances. He was soon hired to perform at parties. In 1989, he was asked to perform as a dancer in the classic B-52's music video for the hit song, Love Shack. He is dressed in drag for this music video, of course, and is featured in a few brief clips. A bit of a backstory with the origins of this B-52 song. The Love Shack is actually a fictional club, but the concept of the club came about from a cabin that is actually located in Georgia. Sadly, that cabin burned down in 2004. So, I guess no longer will anyone be able to bang, bang, bang on the door, baby. And after that fire, that tin roof was definitely rested. Get it? (laughs) Because, you know, those are lyrics from the song. All right. Anyways, this appearance led to some future performances in movies such as Brady Bunch, Crooklyn, and Tu Wong Fu. In 1990, he was voted Queen of Manhattan by several nightclub owners, promoters, and DJs at the annual event. 1993 saw his next big break, but this time it came in the form of music. Tommy Boy Records picked him up to create pop music, stepping away from punk like he had performed years before. Tommy Boy Records is probably more well-known for producing hip-hop and rap music with artists such as Digital Underground, Naughty by Nature, and one of my wife's favorite entertainers, Queen Latifah. 
Thankfully, though, they saw something in RuPaul and took a chance with him, which proved to be an excellent choice. The album, Supermodel of the World, was released that year, and one of the singles released off of that album was called Supermodel, in parentheses, You Better Work, which was really and truly a dance anthem. I think the song holds up pretty well almost 30 years after its release. It was, of course, very popular among gay audiences, but found a lot of success in mainstream music. The song and album were pretty successful, and the song would be RuPaul's biggest hit in his music career. Kurt Cobain of Nirvana, one of my sister's favorite bands of all time and certainly one of mine, apparently absolutely loved this song and the album and thought it was one of the best songs of 1993. The two were photographed together at the MTV Video Music Awards that year. Now that is an unlikely duo if I ever did hear of one, but man, RuPaul and Kurt Cobain, that is the most 90s thing I have heard all week. I kept thinking about what song titles could have come about if they had collaborated. Perhaps Smells Like a Teen Supermodel or Come As You Better Work? Anyways, Nirvana would go on to appear in a TV special called RuPaul's Christmas Ball in December of 1993. Sadly, that was just a few months before Kurt Cobain died by suicide in April of 1994. RuPaul has gone on to have quite an extensive music career. He has released 12 studio albums, which has included collaborations with artists such as Elton John, Lady Gaga, and Miley Cyrus. And he's even released a Christmas album. In 1994, he became the first drag supermodel to represent MAC Cosmetics in advertisements. Part of the proceeds from the sales of the makeup went to fund AIDS research. 1994 was right around the time that we were going through the AIDS crisis in the United States. It peaked in 1995. In 1996, RuPaul hosted his own talk show, which was on VH1. It ran for about two years. He had some pretty high-profile guests on the show, including Cher. His dream of being a TV host had finally come true. He also hosted a radio show that same year. In 1999, RuPaul won the Vito Russo Entertainer of the Year Award at the GLAAD Media Awards. GLAAD, in case you are not familiar with the organization, stands for the Gay and Lesbian Alliance Against Defamation. The name Vito Russo did not ring a bell, so I thought I would look up some information about who he was. And here's what I learned. Vito Russo was born in 1946. He was an LGBT activist who wrote the book The Celluloid Closet, which covered homosexuality in the film industry. At a young age, he was bothered by how gay people were portrayed in the media, often in sort of a stereotypical or negative sense. He also witnessed the Stonewall Riots in 1969, which further deepened his desire to be an LGBT activist. Sadly, he passed away from AIDS in 1990. At his memorial, the attendees sang, Over the Rainbow. I imagine there wasn't a dry eye at that event. In the early 2000s, RuPaul's focus was mainly on music. He's gotten some pushback at times from the gay media during this time who just want to see him focus on performing and fashion and, uh, and being in drag. But he did have some successful dance hits during this time, including Looking Good, Feeling Gorgeous, and Work Out. 2009 saw one of the most pivotal moments of RuPaul's career, the premiere of his television brainchild, RuPaul's Drag Race, which originally aired on the Logo Network. In this show, drag queens compete to be America's next drag superstar. And that was a show that my sister watched all the time. 
It took a bit of time to gain momentum, but the show has been very successful overall and is credited with aiding in bringing attention to the LGBT and drag communities who are often discriminated against and misunderstood. The show has had several spin-offs, but the main show continues to be the most popular and most well-known. More recently, RuPaul has hosted a podcast and he hosted Saturday Night Live earlier this year, and his episode was quite hilarious. I think my favorite skit is called The Library. Coincidentally, it is set in a fictitious library in San Diego. And if you remember, that's where RuPaul was born. In the skit, RuPaul is invited to read to a group of kids, and he goes through a bunch of books aimed toward children that he, in fact, judges by their covers. As an example, he mocks the illustrator for the book Madeline because the Eiffel Tower is drawn as if it's set in the forest, when in reality it is in more of a sort of urban and green space in Paris. The lovable corduroy cover is also victim to scrutiny because he has busted overalls and is trying to dress all boho like Zoe Dachanel. He says, girl, you ain't no boho, you are a broke, insert name of a gardening tool here, if you catch my drift. I think this sketch is loosely based off of his role as a judge in RuPaul's Drag Race. I'll post a link to this video in the show notes. Again, this video, like so much from SNL, is not very child-friendly, but it's pretty hilarious nonetheless. In doing my research, I came across some pretty interesting fun facts, if you will, about RuPaul, and I'll share a few of those here. RuPaul met his future husband, Georges Labar, while out dancing at a nightclub called the Limelight Discotheque in 1994. He was attracted to him because he was six foot eight. He was apparently wearing shoes with very tall heels and was dancing like a maniac, as RuPaul described. RuPaul is six four, without heels. Uh, RuPaul's husband is originally from Australia, and he is a painter. They've got creativity coming out the wazoo, those two. When RuPaul is not filming his TV show or other obligations, they live at George's 50-acre ranch in Wyoming. It takes RuPaul at least an hour and a half to do makeup and hair when getting ready for a drag performance. RuPaul has written several books over the course of his career. The first one is called Letting It All Hang Out, an autobiography, which was released in 1995. Working It, RuPaul's Guide to Life, Liberty, and the Pursuit of Style was released in 2010. And finally, Guru was released in 2018. RuPaul's biggest fear is ignorant people. RuPaul is a huge fan of classic cars and also luxury vehicles, as he once dreamt of driving a nice vehicle when he was struggling to get by. He owns several, and part of the reason why his show is named RuPaul's Drag Race is because he is a fan of that sport. He describes himself as very much an introvert, but is great at pretending he is an extrovert. That is exactly how I often describe myself. Despite a lot of confusion, RuPaul identifies as a male. He is not transgender, but rather a drag queen, which are two separate things. He is very open-minded when it comes to pronouns, though, and he has a great quote about it, which seems pertinent at the moment given who he references. He said once, You can call me he, you can call me she. You can call me Regis and Kathy Lee. R.I.P. Regis. I don't care, just as long as you call me. Dressing in drag is not about wanting to be a woman for RuPaul. In fact, he has no desire to even be a woman. He said part of why he loves drag so much is because it promotes going against the status quo. He wants to push back against our male-dominated culture. And if you've never seen him perform in drag, please do so as you can sense his charismatic and magnetic personality, as well as his ability to command an audience. 
further, he exudes confidence, which I think is very inspiring. And I know he's had an impact on many of his fans, perhaps especially on those individuals who may be struggling with their sexuality or identity. In 2017, he was included in Time Magazine's annual list of the 100 Most Influential People. He is a huge fan of Judge Judy and Goldie Hawn. He holds Goldie Hawn-a-thons about once a year. RuPaul has acquired so many clothes over the years that he has a condo in L.A. strictly devoted to storing his extensive wardrobe. Every night, RuPaul sleeps with a stuffed donkey that he found out on the street in the mid-1980s, and he is missing one eye. Like my real-life dog. Darn you, doggy glaucoma. Ugh. Anyways. RuPaul has an amazing sense of humor and is very insightful. I came across a quote from him that seems to really encapsulate his life and profession. He said, quote, I've dedicated my career to fighting the mundane. My hope is that my career will be a shining example to children everywhere that life is more meaningful when you are not afraid to see all of the colors of the rainbow. I hope you've enjoyed this look back on the life of RuPaul, the most commercially successful drag queen of all time, with a net worth that is reportedly over $60 million. If you are enjoying the Pop Culture Retrospective podcast, please consider rating the show on iTunes or Apple Podcasts. It helps the show out a lot. Thank you so much for tuning in and for your support. Please tell your friends and family about the show. And please feel free to contact me. My email address is popcultureretrospective at gmail.com, or you can tweet me. I'm at popcultureretro. I hope you will join me for my next show, where we will be discussing the history behind one of the most well-known toy companies of all time, Fisher Price. My sister and I owned several Fisher Price toys growing up, and they have survived decades of use and hold a lifetime of memories. Until then, be kind, be safe, and hold on to your memories.